Hello and welcome to MedTalks, the Superbug series. I'm Anthony Frangi. Antimicrobial resistance has spread to every corner of the globe and has given rise to an army of pathogens resistant to the only defence, antibiotics. But what does this mean for humanity? The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says global antimicrobial resistance threatens progress in healthcare, food production, and ultimately life expectancy. And the World Health Organization acknowledges that currently antimicrobial resistance accounts for the deaths of 700,000 people a year. However, infectious disease specialists here and overseas are racing to develop alternative treatments while educating the community and finding innovative ways to combat these resistant bacterial strains before those dire predictions come true. This four-part series, recorded at the Third National Antimicrobial Resistance Forum in Brisbane, includes the world-leading infectious disease specialists who have been discussing antimicrobial resistance from every angle. Why? Because inaction is no longer an option if we want to survive. Joining us today is Dr. Crispin Hykovich, Director of Infectious Diseases at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital and founder of the Queensland Statewide Antimicrobial Stewardship Program. Also, John Hopkins University's Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology, Professor Sarah Cosgrove, who is also Director of the Antimicrobial Stewardship Program and Associate Hospital Epidemiologist at the John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Dr. Catherine Davidson is an infectious diseases physician based in Canberra, working in the private and public sectors. She's also clinical director of the Aura program, which reports on antimicrobial use and resistance in human health at the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. And Professor Jason Roberts, Professor of Medicine and Pharmacy at the University of Queensland and consultant clinical pharmacist at the Royal Brisbane Hospital. Welcome to you all. If I could start with you first, Professor Sarah Cosgrove, what are some of the real-world implications of antimicrobial resistance? So that's a, an important question because I think everyone wants to know how does antimicrobial resistance affect them. Um, and we used to say that um, the main problems with antimicrobial resistance were in patients that were in the hospital. Um, and that is still true. There's uh, still, uh, unfortunately, uh, a high risk of, of developing an infection with a resistant organism if you're in the hospital. Uh, but now we're seeing problems with patients in the community who uh, develop infections with resistant organisms and that has uh, significant implications uh, because in the past, uh, most infections that people presented to the clinic with, uh, if they were bacterial, could be treated with oral antibiotics. And now, uh, with more resistant strains uh, that cause infection, sometimes patients have to be admitted to the hospital because the only available antibiotics to treat some of our resistant infections have to be given by vein uh, in, inside the hospital. Crispin, if I can just go to you, how is, how is antimicrobial resistance affecting communities in Queensland? Um, antibiotic resistance is a global problem, but it does affect people here in Queensland and around the country. 
we're not seeing the runaway types of antibiotic resistance that may be happening in the developing world, but we are seeing a creeping emergence of resistance to antibiotics for things like urinary tract infections, for pneumonia, where each year, each passing year, the uh, availability of antibiotics that will still work for these common infections drops a little bit at a time. It's not running away as a problem as it is in India or China, but it is really um, becoming a substantial problem. And it's something that I see in clinical practice on a daily basis now. Five to ten years ago, some of these more resistant superbugs were quite novel for us. We got pretty excited when we saw them. These days, we're seeing them all the time in hospitals. How did we get into this predicament? Um, it's been a complex, multifaceted uh, evolution of antibiotic resistance um, over, over really uh, 70 or more years since penicillin was in, uh, discovered in 1941. As soon as antibiotics were developed, bacterial resistance started emerging. And really the main reason that it happened was because of inappropriate and excessive use of antibiotics. People receiving antibiotics because they didn't need them for excessive durations and targeted at the wrong populations. Catherine, how does uh, Australia compare to other countries when it comes to critical indicators in the fight against antimicrobial resistance, do you think? Well, Australia's uh, got some good elements and some areas where we can improve. Uh, so if you think about how many Australians in a year receive an antimicrobial prescription, 10 million a year. Is 10 million? Wow. Uh, 26, over 26 million prescriptions in a year are dispensed uh, in our community. So you can see that some people are using them more than others. In our hospital sector, we've been decreasing our use for uh, around eight years now, uh, and we're uh, higher than some of our Scandinavian counterparts in hospital, but uh, lower in some. But there are many goals to achieve, and I think our rate of almost double the amount of community prescribing of some of our uh, Northern European counterparts really gives us something to strive for in where we can reduce our antibiotics use in a safe way in our Australian community. Though on a day-to-day basis, um, you'd most likely be seeing some very ill patients. How do you respond if the antibiotics they've already had are simply not working? Well, whenever we prescribe an antibiotic or even choose not to prescribe an antibiotic, it's for the right patient at the right time for the right indication. Uh, And when we see more ill patients, particularly when we're concerned about antimicrobial resistance, I don't think anyone at the table would have any qualms about prescribing a broad-spectrum antibiotic where it's required. Uh, But it's about finding those patients and um, assessing them on an individual basis and getting the right antibiotic when they need it and not when they don't. I think for talking with patients about illness and antibiotics, sometimes that's not the right time, Uh, but certainly in the community setting where we have the time and we have a patient who's not critically ill, those discussions are quite different. Sarah, the CDC claims that in the US alone, antimicrobial resistance causes more than 2 million infections a year and at least 23,000 deaths. Those are very high numbers. Uh, There have been studies that suggest that more people uh, die of resistant infections than they do of HIV and tuberculosis combined. Um, And and we, um, as a community, um, I I still think a, a large, you know, the whole community still don't think as much as we should about how do we work to, to uh, prevent uh, or slow down antibiotic resistance. Um, I, I actually think it's a little bit like climate change. Uh, you know, everyone says, oh, I've heard of that or, you know, you know, yeah, it's an abstract problem, but 
I don't know what I need to do to fix it. And, you know, and everyone goes along with their day. And I, and I think we do need to have more alarm about figures like the ones that you presented um, and, and really feel that we all have an obligation to, to do something about this. Mm. I'll bring uh, Professor Jason Roberts into this. Jason, as I mentioned at the introduction, uh, you're a professor of medicine and pharmacy at, at UQ. What's your take on uh, antibiotics and, and how you see it in the work that you are doing? Well, I agree with everything that the other panellists have said so far. I think that antibiotics are a wonderful gift that we have. Um, we can use them in some of the most critically unwell patients and that provides them with this opportunity to receive treatments that they wouldn't have received otherwise, things such as use of chemotherapy for cancer treatment, use of very invasive surgeries, uh, you know, things which are life-saving are made possible because we have antibiotics available. And so it is uh, a genuine concern for the healthcare system as we see, as CRISPN um, suggested, you know, creeping anti antimicrobial resistance because that does mean that the, the range of antibiotics that we have to use in different situations is being limited. Uh, from my perspective as a pharmacist, I get still get excited when I see uh, a resistant organism, mainly because it gives me an opportunity to use all of my my skills that I've developed over the years to work out the best way to treat that, not just in terms of the choice of drug, but how what what dose of drug. But that being said, I'd prefer not to have to use those skills. I, I would prefer that those are things which get left in the past um, uh, or outside of the my daily practice but it is something which is very real and you know, we do see it every day where we have to adapt the choice of drug that we use for some very unwell patients because of some resistance which has emerged in in those cases. The other point I think I would make is that antimicrobial resistance is something which does mean a lot to a lot of people particularly those that have been touched by it. You know, they, have, they then have a personal story, a personal understanding about the effect of it but until that happens a lot of people do feel that it is quite abstract and they don't really understand how pressing an issue it is. Uh, as soon as you know, a parent or a child of a, a patient has that experience whereby their loved one has a, um, a very bad multi-drug resistant infection and it's at that stage where we have to use a very old and toxic drug because the new ones which are, are safer aren't working, that's when there is that um, realisation that you know, we're having to use drugs which aren't as nice to the body as others are and you know, we're hurting the patient in some ways to try and get rid of the, um, the multi-drug resistant bacteria. So there's lots of big challenges mm. in, in the healthcare system. Crispin, are there environmental factors that, that come into play when yeah. we talk about this issue? So look in the developed world, um, human and uh, animal, but particularly human antibiotic use is the primary driver of antibiotic resistance. In the developing world, there are some very good studies now showing that uh, countries that actually use very low amounts of antibiotics per head of population still have enormous problems with resistance. And the reason for that is that the antibiotic resistance problem has spread beyond, beyond hospitals and beyond patients and the environment has been contaminated with antibiotic residues and antibiotic resistant bacteria. So, for example, in India now, if you're a a tourist and go to India for casual tourism purposes, the chances are you will probably come back 
colonize with a superbug in your bowel because you'll be drinking antibiotic bacteria, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria in the water supply there. And once you have a runaway problem like this, once the uh, environment which people live in is contaminated by antibiotic resistance, we have a really huge problem to face mm. then. Well, look, on that, Catherine, if I could just come back to you, how then do you tell an antimicrobial resistant patient or their loved ones that the usual treatment protocols simply aren't working? So it's a different, difficult clinical interaction at any point in time when a patient is not doing well. Mm. Uh, but I think one of the important things is having uh, access to expert advice to be able to stop that from happening early on. Um, and certainly things that we collectively uh, work towards is to try and provide advice for complex infections as well as standard infections so people are getting the right treatment even when they do have antimicrobial resistant or drug resistant disease. People, I think, have an increased awareness of what antimicrobial resistance is, so you can start to have those discussions a little easier these days. Uh, but certainly, uh, when we're dealing with this, with, which often happens in transplant settings or people with uh, complex lung disease, um, it's part of a, a complex discussion about their health care and, and what the drug-resistant infection means for them. I might bring uh, Professor Sarah Cosgrove back here. In terms of new drug development, should we be getting excited about, about this, this field of work? We can have a very low-grade amount of excitement uh, about <laughs> new drug development. In contrast to a decade ago, when we had really no new antibiotics uh, to treat these resistant organisms, and, and I think when we speak of resistant organisms that we have no treatment for, we tend to be speaking of resistant gram-negative organisms. So in contrast to a decade ago, we actually do have some new antibiotics uh, that are available to us. Uh, at the moment, our antibiotics that are not new classes of antibiotics, they're just kind of modifications of existing antibiotics. Um, and that should alarm us a little bit because bacteria are very wily uh, and are very good at figuring out how to get around antibiotics. And if we're presenting them with new antibiotics that are just a little different from the older antibiotics that they've already figured out how to be resistant to, uh, then there's a good chance that the new antibiotics aren't going to be with us for long. Uh, and in fact, we already see this. Um, uh, first of all, uh, you know, in many cases, the bacteria is already resistant to the new antibiotics. Um, and uh, when we are lucky enough to have uh, a susceptibility, uh, we have seen in up to 50% of cases uh, that there's emergence of resistance to the new antibiotic when the patient is on therapy. So on the one hand, it's awesome to, to go to a patient and say, we have an antibiotic that will treat the infection. Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't always uh, you know work out with the cure or perhaps the patient is cured, but they have a relapse. And then uh, when that happens, we don't have any more antibiotics. Jason, when you when you hear that kind of news, being a, a consultant clinical pharmacist, does that is, is that encouraging? You know, it is exciting that we have some options that we can use in very niche situations, but we don't have any wonderful, you know, any wonder drug which has suddenly become available, which answers a lot of our major problems. Uh, essentially, a lot of the new drugs that are coming through, you know, we're very grateful for the investment that's occurred with those, but 
uh, as was stated. You know, they are just slight modifications on existing agents, which offer just slightly improved activity over what some of our other agents are. And so they, they, they do fulfil a role, but we still are certainly left dramatically short in terms of what we would prefer to have available for our armamentarium. So there is um, a long way to go. Investment in new drug development is something which is very important. It is a very long and costly process, but is something which we're always going to have to be doing because whenever you use an antibiotic, you're always going to get resistance. The, the, the place of uh, um, healthcare practitioners and support staff and um, policy makers, etc., is to try and minimise the emergence of resistance. And you know, I think that that's a really important part of what all of us who have anything to do with use of antibiotics, including um, consumers who, who use them, that's something which they need to be um, cognizant of. Crispin, if, if I can just come come back to you, if if a new drug development is ongoing. Are there other ways that we can get out of this predicament, do you think? Um, yeah, so new drugs are a really important part of the story, but they're by no means the overall solution. And humans being what they are, will have the temptation to let history repeat itself with new drugs and just get resistance to that as well. We've got mm-hmm. to avoid that. But really, new drug development is just one of the three pillars of the response to antimicrobial resistance. Another really important component that science can offer us is better diagnostic tests. So actually, at the end of the day, we're still not actually that good at picking the difference between a viral infection where antibiotics will have no role and a bacterial infection that'll potentially respond to antibodies, particularly in a rapid manner so we can make real-time decisions in the clinical coalface. So we need better diagnostics to help us make the decision to start an antibiotic or not in general. But coming back to it again, the antimicrobial stewardship programs that Professor Cosgrove and all of the team here run are the most important component. Using the antibiotics we already have well and with quality. And there is some evidence now that use of quality, using antibiotics, you know, a responsible manner can actually lead to regression of some antibiotic resistance. When you talk about responsible manner, what do you mean by that? And this it is means this is for everyone. It's, it's not yeah. particularly complicated. It's selecting a patient that has a bacterial infection, selecting an appropriate antibiotic, one that's not so broad spectrum that there's a lot of scatter effect and a lot of collateral damage. We all have billions and billions of bacteria in our bodies all the time. We have more bacterial cells in our body than human cells, and every time you have an antibiotic for an an infection in your skin, your gut gets inoculated with those antibiotics as well. So picking the narrowest spectrum antibiotic, giving it for the shortest duration and trying to use a tablet where possible rather than an injected antibiotic. Is that a pretty tough process, Jason Roberts, to do? That's something which maybe the general public doesn't understand is that we will do our very best to try and determine if they are unwell, why they are unwell. And infection is commonly one of those potential diagnoses which are at play. Uh, when that's the case and we're looking to try and provide some um, care for that patient, often that means that they may receive an antibiotic because of that uncertainty. And that's where some enhanced diagnostic technologies would be very useful because it may mean that we stop people going on a course of antibiotics because certainly once they receive the first dose, because there is some uncertainty, the likelihood of them getting more doses is is quite high. Mm. And so that issue of um, having strong diagnostics is really a, a fundamental pillar of stewardship, as is re-evaluation of the need for that antibody. Dr. Catherine Davidson, is there any difference in the approach to handling antimicrobial resistant patients in the private and public systems? 
So the private and public system in Australia do operate uh, quite differently, um, but there are many things we can do to prevent infections, uh, so not have the patient actually pre uh, present in front of us requiring an antibiotic before we um, even think about the prescription of antibiotic. And certainly hospitals across Australia are, are, are required to have certain quality and safety programs in place that prevent infections as much as possible um, and certainly once the infections occur the antimicrobial stewardship programs are, are there to ensure the safe delivery of antimicrobials and those are actually part of our national safety standards and so in the private and public system they're all required to, to implement them it's just how they do it differently in those sectors mm. um, so there are many models in Australia um, and it depends on geography on the private and public sector and what level of care you're providing as well. Professor Sarah Cosgrove has international collaboration or information sharing played a significant part to date? I think there's different um, ways to think about uh, international collaboration. Uh, I think we all uh, stand to, to learn from each other in understanding what kind of antibiotic stewardship strategies work and don't work. It has to be based a little bit on what kind of healthcare system uh, you know we're looking at. Um, in the United States, there are um, not really uh, you know there's not a national health system, so it's hard to have mandates that that come down from on high. Uh, there are we do actually have a stewardship standard, um, but it's a big country, and the actual implementation of stewardship uh, is you know not the same in every hospital in the country. I think the other uh, aspect of, of the international issue, though, is that bacteria do not belong to a country um, and, in fact, don't care at all whether, you know, they're Indian bacteria <laughs> the, uh, the or The bacteria Australia. are collaborating <laughs> even if we aren't. Exactly. <laughs> Australian bacteria. And, um, and now um, the, the global connectivity is astounding. You know, uh, you may have seen these maps that show how many airplane flights there are a day and it's just remarkable uh, and you know with every one of those flights a bacteria is moving from one country to another country and because that's happening we can't just you know sit in our own countries and say we're just going to deal with the problem here um, and uh, you know as as was mentioned before there are there are areas where resistance is really ballooning out of control and I don't mean to pick on India but uh, it it's been clearly documented that that is it's a very significant problem in India, uh, that people in the hospital in India who have gram-negative bacteria in their blood, uh, in up to 30% of cases, those are highly resistant. Um, and frankly, we don't want that to be the case in the United States or in Australia. Um, but if we do nothing to work with other countries, uh, particularly ones with high rates of resistance, then it the, the, those bugs are going to come to the United States and to, to Australia and everywhere. Um, so we can't, um, uh, you know, be isolationist when it comes to 
to antibiotic stewardship. I might uh, open that question up to the floor. Jason Roberts, in terms of international collaboration? Local, national, international collaboration and communication is uh, a key element for how we can improve our systems. Learning from other people's experiences who may, they may publish in journals that we read or alternatively we may be fortunate enough to hear those people speak and hear about the, the successes but also the, the failures so to speak of interventions they've tried which may not necessarily work as well help us to make better decisions about what we try to implement locally. I think it also establishes a, uh, an approach to be uh, more scientific with our approaches to providing care uh, and trying to, you know, re- to combat antimicrobial resistance, whereby if we are thinking uh, more logically about what other people have done, what has worked for them, and we're trying to then implement that for ourselves, then we have this continual cycle of, of uh, aiming to improve what uh, care that we're providing. And in doing so, we can only but achieve better outcomes for patients if we're always aiming to improve. Crispin, anything to add? Like climate change, this is a global problem with a global solution. Clinically at the coalface now, uh, are absolutely normalised to international travellers turning up with extremely drug-resistant antibiotic infections now. That is absolutely the norm. Um, And every time we see that, we realise we're just a a day or a week or a month sooner to seeing outbreaks in our own community. And have had, in fact, a number of outbreaks of extremely multi-drug-resistant organisms in Australia and I'm sure in the United States as well now. So it's a fallacy to think we can combat this on our own. I guess on the positive side, though, um, at this meeting today, we've been hearing about the wonderful programs that Professor Cosgrove is running uh, in, in the United States. We've heard from colleagues from interstate about some of the really practical solutions that are working at, at their institutions and they're scalable and they're easily implementable across the world. Medicine's actually not that different. There are some minor jurisdictional differences, but actually the patients are still largely the same and the diseases are still largely the same. So a solution scaled uh, in a hospital in Baltimore is readily implementable in Brisbane and vice versa. Catherine? So we're all here today because we think collaboration is important. We think collaboration is important across the healthcare sector. We think it's important across animal and agricultural sectors. Um, and certainly that doesn't stop at research or implementation, but also in surveillance. Uh, and so uh, the WHO runs a, a number of programs to look at what's going on in different countries. And certainly the government as part of its um, strategy uh, has international collaboration on the highest agenda. Crispin. Sarah, Catherine and Jason, thanks so much for joining us here at the Third National Antimicrobial Resistance Forum in Brisbane. Thank you very much. Thank you.